0: Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, were, who, who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Have you ever played the telephone game? Do you know this game? We play it sometimes as kids where you get in a line and someone comes up with some sort of phrase and you whisper it in the ear and whisper it in the ear and whisper it in the ear and it it goes on down the line and then the last person says it out loud and what is the result of this game? Most of the time the phrase that was first uttered is nowhere near the phrase which came comes out at the end. gets garbled and lost in translation. And this tends to be something very similar to what happens in the life of the church. And this happens in several ways. On one hand, uh, this happens in a very destructive way. Uh, We come with words against one another and we talk about one another and these things are slowly transmitted down the line until they get worse and worse and they become very destructive So it it happens in our relationships, but it also happens in our theology, in what we believe. People come in with their personal theology in the church and they say, let me tell you what the Bible says all the time, not saying what the Bible says. And then it goes to the next person. This is what so-and-so said the Bible says. And this is so-and-so said what the Bible says. And it goes on down the line till even when it gets to the end, it becomes so perverse and perverted that it's nowhere near actually what the Bible says. And it becomes a stumbling block to the one true faith. It spreads and infects the whole of the church. Paul has been reminding us that we who are in Christ are free in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then and we are free, then we must live as if we are free. This is what we looked at last week. We who are free cannot return into bondage. And he continues to remind us of this through the object of circumcision. And, and there's... <laughs> If you read Paul long enough, you might at some point go, man, he talks about circumcision a lot. Why doesn't he just get off this topic of circumcision? But circumcision uh, has become representative for the whole of the law. It's the thing that the false teachers were doing. They were coming into the church and saying, this is the mark of salvation. Moving us away from faith alone in Christ. And he finished last week by telling us it's all about faith working through love. We have been given faith, a finished faith that has been granted to us through the work of Jesus Christ. And that must move us to love, to love him and to love others. Therefore, we cannot allow ourselves to be derailed. We cannot allow our faith to be derailed. We have to watch out for those Who would come into our midst and seek to be a stumbling block. For those who would come in and like to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who would like to diminish the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we come this morning we're going to see three things from our our text. First we're going to see the need to run. Second we're going to see a leaven that spreads. Leaven that spreads. And third and finally we're going to see the, the offense of the cross. The need to run, leaven that spreads, and the offense of the cross. Paul here is going to use, and these three points, if you're paying attention at all, seem very disjointed. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason, but even as we go through just these six verses here, it seems that Paul is jumping around. He's quickly using analogies that we see in other parts of scripture. He goes, you need to run, it's a race, you need to run. Oh, remember that leaven a little leaven affects the whole lump. And then he goes into talking about these offenses of the cross. But the point is a whole point here. And he begins and he compares uh, the, the Christian life here to a race. You are running well. This is not the first time he has used this. He's often talking through his letters about running to obtain the prize. We are to run and to run well. And, and, and as we look at those other places, he tells us it's not a, a sprint. It's not about just going as fast as you can, as hard as you can for a short period of time. It's about the whole of life. But he also tells us the longer a race goes on, the more things, more problems that can come in. Have you ever run a marathon or watched someone run a marathon? There are many things that can come up. Maybe you don't hydrate enough. What happens if you're running a marathon and you don't hydrate enough? What happens if you walk out those doors and stand there for a few minutes if you don't hydrate enough? You will pass out. You will suffer the results of dehydration. Maybe you'll pull a muscle because you haven't stretched well. Maybe someone will try to come in and knock you off your stride, intentionally trying to take you out of the race. Paul has experienced and seen others experience these difficulties in the race of the Christian life. And as people were moving away from the gospel, as those who he had labored and ministered amongst, as they moved away from the gospel, he began to worry, was he running in vain? Were they running in vain? Why were they running the race that God had set them upon? And he says, you need to remain focused. You were running well. You were hydrated. You were properly stretched. You were focused on the goal. He said you were running well. But those have come in hindering you, hindering you from obeying the truth. And this word here, is, as we look at it in the Greek, is literally like a, a cutting in on. You can imagine, we have NASCAR down the road and other things, you can imagine races of someone cutting in on someone else, maybe giving them a bump or a jostle. He says they're hindering you, they're cutting in on you as you run your race. And they're keeping you from obeying truth. This truth that is the good news of salvation, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this truth of salvation by faith alone in him alone, and they're coming in and saying, no, you need something more. And there's some truth in that. It's not about just running the race. We have to run the race in a godly manner. And so that it's action. But they're adding to the cause of the run. What we believe and how we believe can never be separated But we must understand that we do not add to our faith. John Stott says it this way. Our creed is expressed in our conduct. And our conduct is derived from our creed. But our conduct does not add to our being justified. The Judaizers had come into the church and they were guilty of this poor sportsmanship. They had come in. And in a way, they were fouling those around them. They came in and wanted to add the law of Moses, as we've seen. And Paul says, he asked the question, or there's a question implied here. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. He's saying, look, who is bringing this into your life? It's obviously not from God, the one who calls you. It's from some external source, not from God. The Galatians were called by grace Grace being something they didn't deserve, Grace that was given to them freely through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these Judaizers, as we've seen, they come in, they cut in, they hinder, you need the law. Keep the law. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we see here, there is a race that we are running. It is a race that we are called to run well. It does not mean that we run it perfectly. We all know that we struggle and sin. But as we run this race, we must keep our eyes on the prize. But to do this, we have to prepare. I would tell you right now, if you put me outside and said, all right, Daniel, run a marathon. Yeah, Linda's laughing. She knows. <laughs> I'd be dead by the time I got to the kitchen, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't just go out and run a marathon, can you? You can't. It is simply, impo- even. Now, I joking about, about that to me, but that's true of all of us. Of, I, maybe there's a marathon runner who's ready to go in this room. I don't know. But if you've not trained for a marathon, I don't care how good a shape you're in, go try to run a marathon right now. You're not going to make it. It's too hard. It's something you train for and work for. And so we're have to. we going to run a race. We have to be ready. Let's be hydrated. Let's start. Let's work our way up. Okay, we're going to run. We're going to pace ourselves. We're going to work our way up to where we can run this marathon. We can't veer off course. If the course has been set, then we keep our eyes on it. We have to watch out for any stumbling blocks in the road. So how do we do this in the Christian life? How do we prepare to run this race? It's about relationship with him. It's about coming to his word, knowing where we are to be going. This is your path. This is your guide for the race that he set before you. So that you do not veer to the left or to the right. We must focus on Jesus himself, knowing the truth of his word, studying the wonders of his gospel and his grace. And in doing that, we prepare ourselves to run the race he has set before us. Now, Paul jumps he says, run the race. It's good. You need to do that. And then he says, and a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. And you're like, okay, oh, where are we going, Paul? It's kind of scatterbrained here. He's going all over the place. But he's, he's talking about the same thing here. He said, okay, what kind of effects does your, has your labor gained? So he turns to a bakery. And if you've ever cooked bread or done anything with yeast... You know that you don't need a lot of yeast, do you? You put a little yeast in some dough and it's going to rise. And what does yeast do? It feeds. It feeds off sugars, it multiplies and it grows. It's an amazing thing. If you if you as kids have never seen it, you put a dough and you let it sit there and all of a sudden you come back and it's twice as big as it was before. Because it affects the whole of it. It's an amazing thing as we see it happen. And if you're going to make bread, if, if you're going to do any kind of baking, if you're going to make unleavened bread, bread without yeast, you have to get all yeast out of there. There can be no yeast in the mix or it's going to go through the whole of the dough. And Paul uses this to teach the same lesson. If you just put a little law into the gospel of Jesus Christ... Just a little, just a pinch. It's going to work its way through the whole of the church. It cannot help but do that. It is like leaven. He says if you're going to add circumcision or any other part of the law, it's going to spread. If you're going to add any bad theology, in essence, into the church, it's going to spread. And to avoid the spread, we must remove it. We must not allow even the slightest pinch to come into our midst. We have to rid ourselves of this idea of a works-based righteousness. He sees the problem here. The problem is this single thing, circumcision, adding circumcision to the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. But he knows that it's much, much more. It's circumcision and the Old Testament law. It's circumcision and the Old Testament feast. It's circumcision and all these other things. And then you go down the path of the Pharisees, where the Pharisees were adding to the law daily. So let us, in, they were interpreting how you keep the Sabbath. We still see this going on today. We, we know there's people who are, are striving to be practicing Jews. And they won't walk into a room and turn on the light because that is working on the Sabbath. They add to the law. Add to the law. Pad theology has a way of spreading. Luther says, in theology, a tiny error overthrows the whole teaching. So the question is, is somewhat this. What difference does it make whether Jesus is the way or just a way? Ah. That was a one-word change, wasn't it? What difference does it make if Jesus is the way or simply a way? How can one word wreak such destruction? Because what does it mean if we just say Jesus is a way? It means there's many other ways. For Paul, it made all the difference in the world. It implies that Christ's death on the cross is simply not enough. That you need something more to atone for your sins. It denies the doctrine of justification. He says, this is the problem a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. But then he says something very encouraging in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. Paul's not being arrogant here. He's not sitting here saying, look guys, I'm right. You better take my view. It's not what it's about. He understood scripture and his confidence was not in his own teaching or his own preaching. His confidence was not in the, the wisdom and knowledge of those who were hearing. He says, I have confidence in the Lord. The one who would bring them back to the one true gospel of free grace. But not only this, not only does he have confidence in the Lord, he says, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Those who would bring bad theology into the church, they will answer for the way in which they have perverted the gospel. And this comes at the final judgment. And so we... We can worry about, we can protect against, but we need not be dismayed over bad theology or the spread of cults, for it will be judged in the end. And here's the thing. It's easy for us to grow agitated with those who are so in love with their theology, right? Right? We're a Presbyterian church, whether you know what that means or not. Uh, we, as Presbyterians, we tend to love theology, um, maybe to an annoying degree at times. And certainly, there's a way in which this can be done incorrectly. When the the our theology becomes our God, that's a problem, right? It's a big problem. It's the same thing when our faith in theology and not the one uh, who gives us that theology, uh, then we can belabor the Bible in negative ways. But we also have to be careful that we don't dismiss it altogether. We need to be those, and I think we even need to appreciate those, who are lovers of truth, who seek to dive into his word. We cannot, as those who are in the church, live in blissful, Ignorance of the word of God. It is given to us for a specific purpose. It is teaching us specific things to build us up in faith and love. And if we don't know what God says, so if I come in and I say, yes, Jesus, yes, yes, the cross, but let me also tell you, the ways in which you need to to act so that Jesus will love you and you can't come back in and say no Daniel, Jesus loves me because of his grace for me and therefore I act in obedience out of love then there's a problem because what I say to you will come to you and it will change your view of scripture and the only way for you to know that I'm in error is for you to be testing at all times to know what the Bible would have of you. We cannot live in blissful ignorance. This is why I think we we see the spread, the rampant spread of like the health and wealth gospel, because someone comes in and says, look, God, he just wants you to be happy. He wants you to even be wealthy. He wants you to be wise. And we go, that makes me feel good. And we don't go and check what Scripture actually says. They're not in the Word enough to know that it's false. So Paul says, Look, you need to run well. You need to obey truth. You need to understand that even a little bit of bad theology affects the whole. But then he kind of goes on and says this Look, I know that the cross is offensive. He says, I know the cross is offensive in verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The, the cross is offensive. And he, he finishes this out here, and you can't get past this, even though it would be fun to do this, to not do this. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is not a, uh, this here is not here by accident. Um, I'm not going to go into any great lengthy details, but we know what circumcision is. There's a cutting there, and Paul is in essence saying, I wish they would slip and emasculate themselves. It it is very crude in a way. It's, It's Paul maybe at his most crudest in some sense, but it's not exactly that altogether. We have to know that many pagan priests required circumcision if you were going to be a priest. not circumcision, castration if you were going to be a priest. They required that you were castrated. And he says, look, if you're going to add to the law of Jesus Christ, you may as well be a pagan. You may as well be like these pagan priests. If you're going to continue on insist on being circumcised, if you're going to continue to insist that you be saved by ritual which is just another form of paganism, you might as well go the whole way. Go the whole way. Cut yourself off from the body of Christ completely. And, and it really is a startling offensive stance that he's taking here. He does not pull any punches with them. He's teaching something that's not very popular. He is in essence saying God does not help them who help themselves. Which is a the theology we like, right? God helps them, who helps themselves, and this is simply not true. Christianity is offensive because it insists that salvation comes only by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And they would have us believe, they would have the Galatians believe, these teachers, that he still preaches circumcision. He says, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And in essence, they're coming up, and just by knowing through other Paul's other writings, they're saying, look, you had Timothy circumcised. You must still be preaching circumcision. And he's saying, if I'm preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? Because the reality is this. It's not about circumcision. Paul is really indifferent to circumcision. Whether you circumcise or not circumcise, it doesn't really matter to him. It's the idea that circumcision saves you that he's battling. That circumcision is a way to gain God's approval. If you preach circumcision as a means of salvation, then that's a problem. The question is this, is it circumcision or is it the cross? And Paul says it has to be the cross where Christ was crucified for sinners, not circumcision. We don't add to our salvation The theologian James Denny says this, the aim of the epistle of Galatians is to show that all Christianity is contained in the cross. To preach the cross is to preach salvation in Christ alone. It is to say there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. God has made all things right between man and himself with the death and resurrection of his son. So we have to either preach circumcision, law, adding to our faith this laundry list of do's and don'ts, or we preach the cross. It can't be both. And the reality is this, which is more popular? Which is more palatable as we strive in the church to remain relevant to the time we take away the offensiveness of the cross by saying, no, you can, you can earn it. We must be faithful. Brothers and sisters, to preach Christ crucified is to invite ridicule, opposition, hardship, persecution, even death. The world looks at us and say, "Y'all are crazy. You, that you believe this man who lived. They may they probably will not deny that Jesus was a man, uh, because there's enough evidence to to show this. But they say you're crazy to believe that he was God and that God would die. That that's insanity. But as we preach this, as we preach the gospel of faith, we will incur ridicule. It's an offense. This is the Greek word for scandal. You will be scandalized. This, the cross is something that will scandalize you. And we see it's offensive. To the Romans it was offensive. It was their most brutal form of death. That's it's. They reserved it for the worst of people. So you go to the Romans and you say, hey, let me tell you about a crucified savior. It's And they're like, that's that's a gruesome, unimaginable death. Why would I want to know about him? It scandalized the Jews. To them to say to die on a tree was accursed. For you to say crucified Messiah was a contradiction of terms. They did not go together. To this day, it remains a stumbling block to every moral individual. It's unflattering. It calls us to something outside ourselves. We are a people who are in love with our own personal freedoms, freedom to choose for ourselves, freedom to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make something of ourselves, right? It's the great theology of America. It's that great promise of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And I get this no matter what. this is simply not the theology of the cross. We don't like to admit that we need saving. We want to save ourselves. F.F. Bruce says this, the cross cuts the ground from under every thought of personal achievement or merit where God's salvation is in view to be shut up to receiving salvation from the crucified one is to be received. If it is to be received at all, is an affront to all notions of proper self-pride and self-help. And for many people, this remains a major stumbling block in the gospel of Christ crucified. Jesus, and Paul here, on behalf of Jesus, is claiming an exclusive faith. Yet we tend, people tend to want Christianity with no cross. And in turn, we who are in the church have this this desire to not be offensive. We want to fit in around with people, right? We don't want people to ostracize us or think us those crazy, wacko, nut jobs. We want people to like us. We don't want to offend. And Paul says look, the cross is offensive, it's meant to be offensive. It's there that you see yourself as a sinner knowing that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. We cannot remove from the Bible the message of the gospel, faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel is offensive. The gospel of the cross is offensive. It tells us we are in sinners. It tells us that we are in need of something outside ourselves it tells us simply that we are not enough that no matter how many self-help books you read no matter how you try to uh, finagle it you are not enough in yourself you need jesus so we must put aside our natural desires the ones that seek to maintain the status quo the ones that seek to not make waves It's as if we're standing in a pool and we go, let's just be real still. No one will see us. We must flee this sort of paganism, this love of the world and its priorities. We must turn to the cross, the only place where we find solace. Here we see the offensiveness of Jesus his body broken, his blood poured out. Here we see the cross of Christ. And this table is to be a reminder for us. You have a race to run. Run it well. Focus your eyes on him. You have a responsibility as you run To guard your heart from sin. To fully rest and trust on him. Don't allow this leaven to come in amongst you. And as you run, run as to obtain the prize. Run with your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. And as we take of this table... Is as we, as we partake in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It serves as a reminder. Why, do you, why does he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me because I know that you are so prone to forgetting. You need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Because we all struggle in this, don't we? We struggle as we seek to run, as we seek to keep our eyes on him. And all along the side, there's flashing neon lights. Oh, they're so pretty to behold. What happens if you're driving a car and you start looking this way? What does the car start to do? It starts to go where you're looking, doesn't it? And we look at this world and we start to drift off and we go this way and we go that way. And Jesus says, wake up, keep your eyes focused on me, come and know what I have done for you. Come and taste of the sweetness of what I am preparing for you. That it's not simply about what I have done, but it's about what I am doing. Don't be discouraged. Yes, there are those who are going to come and they're going to attack you and they're going to, Be against you and tell you you're ignorant and and dull-witted and have no rational reason to believe these things. And he says, stay focused on me, for I am truth and I am light. And he calls us back. That's the wonder and beauty of this table. So he calls us from, from looking at the world, but he also calls us to look to eternity. Know where I am and know what I am preparing for you. Let this be a table that is a foretaste. Of what is to come. Of the ultimate destination of all believers. And not only for them, but for those who would seek to pull you. They will be judged as well. So let us now come. Let us be reminded of the Christian life we have set before us. Would we be reminded of the cross of Jesus? Would we focus on him and would we run well? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul and his encouragement to us. Lord, would we keep and guard our hearts from all bad theology and error. Would we keep our eyes focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, him crucified, lifted up so that we may have life. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.